This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 80 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson here early on this Sunday morning. We have a heck of a show for you. A lot of uh, topics to get to as the hockey world kind of starts to get rolling in the next week and a half or so. Uh, the NHL preseason is already uh, underway at this particular point. College hockey is soon to follow here this week. Of course, our St. Cloud State Huskies, uh, they've got a big matchup against St. Thomas coming up this week to start their regular season. So, And the women's hockey squad uh, already underway with a, a nice overtime win yesterday. So we're going to discuss a little bit about that, uh, a little bit more about the Minnesota Wild and some Kirill Kaprizov. I think we can finally put his name to rest as far as <laughs> contracts and business uh, is concerned, hopefully on this show for the time being. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about news around the NHL and then our extra ice session is going to talk about some rule changes to the National Hockey League as well. You won't want to miss it. And we're going to get started with Center SU News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. started this morning as you had mentioned at the top of the show the women's hockey team is already underway they already got their first win thanks to a 2-1 overtime victory it was exhibition however against the Bemidji State um, it did take place at Herbrooks National Hockey Center here just yesterday uh, third period deadlocked again at zeros uh, Unino Newland however got the Huskies off and the game scoring first uh, from sophomore Emma Gentry there. Uh, then Gentry um, from Skridlova after the game would be tied and headed to OT would end up sealing the victory again in exhibition for the Huskies. Uh, another women's WCHA action. Ohio State did sweep St. Thomas in their first Division I action. Uh, Mankino did best Mary Mack in a two-game set in Wisconsin. Um, I'm not sure, Noah, if 18 goals is a lot or a little in two games. No, it's, it's a ton. Uh, a plus 17 goal differential on the weekend against Lindenwood. Um, Huskies will have a pair against that same team uh, next week at home. That's their official schedule opener, um, while the men team, again, as we mentioned before, opens up their Division One against St. Thomas. Uh, Fargo, North Dakota, Neva, Amy Promsberger. I think I hope Promers. Promers, yeah. Uh, scored the first ever goal for the University of St. Thomas in Division One program history. Uh, came in a second period early, and it gets Ohio State. 
Yeah, kind of a tough go, actually, for St. Thomas. I think it was they were outscored, I think it was 10 to 1 on the first weekend. But you know what? They played a very good team in Ohio State. So, I mean, uh, we'll see how they adjust. Uh, and they match up. I think they have, I want to say, Bemidji next weekend. I could be wrong on that as well. But like you mentioned, the Huskies, they've got Lindenwood next weekend. And then they open their official WCHA action against the team that played Lindenwood in Wisconsin right away. So uh, it's going to be kind of a good little shakeup and a good test for the Huskies next weekend to see how they kind of fair against Lindenwood because they've got the big dogs in Wisconsin uh, in that matchup the weekend after. So best of luck, good start for the women's team. And it's a good sign that they're able to hang with this Bemidji state program, which we talked about that in the opener and we'll talk about it a little bit again here uh, is very important for this squad. Uh, the NHL did start their training camp and preseason schedules. We had kind of mentioned this week as well. Uh, Minnesota played last night on Saturday. They dropped their first contest to St. Louis by a score of six to two, kind of a rough outing for capital Kakinen once again against the St. Louis blues, a uh, tough sharp angle goal. He gave up against James Neal last night, but uh, yeah, St. Louis has not been kind to him, although they had a pretty, uh, pretty NHL laden roster uh, yesterday, but, uh, nonetheless, the Minnesota Wild unable to, to get the job done yesterday. Uh, the big news from the state of hockey, of course, Kirill Kaprizov. He signed that massive five-year, $45 million contract before arriving at camp. Uh, was actually in the United States for about a week or so before signing that deal, was able to jump in on Thursday, officially jump in on Friday, uh, and uh, he was raring and ready to go. Uh, other restricted free agents did follow suit in the NHL, kind of waiting for that deal. St. Louis, Robert Thomas, and Vegas's Nolan Patrick, they each got two-year deals, and Sabres defenseman uh, Rasmus Dahlin, three years uh, at $6 million annually for him. So those restricted free agents uh, getting their paydays finally before the season starts. Uh, some other NHLers getting some deals as we kind of get closer and closer to the season. Uh, a couple of goaltenders, Los Angeles goaltender, former Notre Dame standout, Cal Peterson, three-year, $15 million for him. And Columbus uh, re-upping their netminder, Elvis Merzlikens, five years, $27 million on that contract. Good for him. Uh, Sammy Niku, he was scooped up uh, after his contract was terminated by Winnipeg. He's going to Montreal on a one-year deal. And uh, Ottawa, they uh, transacted a trade, if you will. Former first round pick Logan Brown and a conditional pick uh, headed to St. Louis for the big heavy physical forward in Zach Sanford. Uh, professional tryout news. A couple of guys around the NHL getting their shot. Uh, guys that the Minnesota Wild will know very well. Uh, Ottawa added Tyler Ennis on a PTO and Arizona saw Alex Galchenyuk kind of return to their fold in professional tryout news. Uh, and the most interesting one, uh, sort of, uh, Detroit, they re-brought in Bobby Ryan, uh, who tallied 14 points in 33 games for them last year. Uh, but he kind of missed the, the tail end of the season season with surgery. Um, he's 35 years old, that injury. I think they're just kind of wondering to see uh, how he looks in camp before he, uh, before they officially sign him to a contract and give him that money. But uh, a great, a great return story and a wonderful uh, progression of his career from what he had gone through to, to come back in Detroit and to do what he has done so far. So wishing him the best of luck and all three of those guys, best of luck in their professional trials. Speaking of PTOs, no, just a quick side note. Uh, uh, James Neal, who was on a PTO with yep. St. Louis, uh, definitely wanted uh, to prove something last night. He had a hat trick at last night's preseason opener against the Minnesota Wild. And uh, you just got to know that, you know, after things didn't go maybe as well in Edmonton, um, I thought that he was a, a heavy piece of her Vegas' inaugural runs of the Stanley Cup final. You know that he's looking at trying to, I think, prove some people wrong. And I think he definitely kind of showed that a little bit last night. But let's move into a little bit of news around the league. Uh, first of all, uh, some retirement news. Uh, longtime uh, New Jersey Devil and former 
North Dakota Fighting Hawk. Uh, Travis Zajac signed a one-day contract with the club and then retired a 15-year career in the NHL. Uh, 14 of those in over 1,000 games with the Devils before being dealt to the New York Islanders uh, last year to finish out his career. Um, and he, it sounds like he's going to get a player development role within the organization. So good for Travis Zajac. Uh, congratulations on a wonderful career. But uh, sticking in hockey, uh, good to see that uh, you know the organization taking him in and getting his first uh, office role. Uh, in the broadcasting booth, this one surprised me a little bit here, uh, Noah, as Jim Houston, uh, 42 years with CBC and Hockey Night in Canada, um, has announced his retirement. And I, I just, to me, uh, the 65-year-old, uh, you know, he even goes back. I, I know that in the NHL um, EA Sports video game, he was kind of the main voice in the 2000s. Yeah, he even goes back in the 90s. Uh, he was the first uh, voice I heard uh, even before Gary Thorne. Um, so if I'm dating myself there, there you go. Um, but uh, the timing to me is a little bit odd on that one. It's, uh, you know, it's mid to late September when this news came in. I know that uh, longtime TSN voice Chris Cuthbert was kind of pulled last year over from TSN to Sportsnet. Um, it originally started his career with that same media organization. So maybe there were some writing on the wall there, but Jim Houston. Um, not being uh, renewed his contract for hockey down in Canada. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, he announced his retirement. So great career, great voice. And he's actually a voice I'm going to miss. I thought he called it a really, really yeah. nice game. In front office news, St. Louis naming Peter Shirelli as vice president of hockey operations. And then Ken Hitchcock also coming back to the Blues as a coaching consultant. Uh, Armstrong, however, the G current GM of St. Louis, uh, getting a five-year extension this week. So a little bit of front office news down there with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, this is a big one here. Uh, no, we now find uh, a little bit more detail on the proposal that was submitted by the Arizona counties for the Tempe Development Program. Uh, $1.7 um, was the dollar amount proposal that was uh, turned into the city of Tempe. Um, it is a multi-use uh, sort of uh, project, uh, restaurants, shops, um, apartments. Uh, this is, again, on that 46-acre lot that was uh, essentially a current landfill. It's right in the river. It's about three minutes away from the Phoenix airport um, and supposedly a lot more um, access to the uh, the Arizona residents there in the uh, the greater Phoenix area. Um, looking for about $200 million in public contributions is what we hear from uh, the Arizona Coyotes. And that's more for infrastructure work and stuff that would be on public land. Um, and supposedly, um, this was the only proposal that was submitted in the plot of land. So there are no competing offers, which is interesting, Noah. However, it still has to be approved by the city of Tempe. So uh, certainly not uh, over yet there, but, uh, you know, as far as other projects, they don't have to worry about it. So as long as city makes it go through, then it's all right. Um, as we know, the NHL did also approve the Jersey ads, a little crest, um, I believe two inches by three inches is the actual size. Um, Washington Capitals were the first one to actually uh, reveal who they have already inked a deal with. Um, Caesar Sportsbook, as you know, with uh, the Washington Capitals arena, they also opened the first in-arena sports betting kiosk um, in North American sports. So that kind of makes sense there. Uh, this However, the league is looking to crack down on cross-checking calls. I think we're going to get a little bit more in detail on that um, with uh, the goal to, I guess, get a little bit more offense and to uh, sort of allow the game to play a little bit more um, freely in terms of puck possession. And then uh, I, I guess uh, in contrast, Noah, just a quick blurb, but this is sort of the same thing they did a little bit a couple of years ago with slashing infractions, although I kind of feel like that's regressed a little bit. But uh, again, we'll get a little bit more of a deeper dive in that a little bit uh, later in the show. 
Yeah, just like the Arizona Coyotes, we're also looking for $200 million in public contributions. So if anyone wants to head on over to the Huskies Warming House podcast website, we do have a PayPal section. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a blurb I saw last night, too, as we roll into our final topics, some injury news and interesting topics here. Uh, there also was a blurb about uh, Miami, Ohio and, and Brad Aldrich and that situation going on with the Chicago investigation. There was an investigation, too, into Miami, Ohio's handling of uh, Brad as well, too. Uh, uh, they were cleared of wrongdoing. The, uh, apparently the initial report against Brad when he was hired there came against him. Uh, and then he was subsequently terminated soon after their uh, internal investigation was finished. And then a second report about Brad came to the university's attention about 18 months after um, Miami had released him. So it had no bearing on Miami's decisions. Um, still doesn't make it, you know, any more of a feel good story by any means, but something that I, I think our listeners should know that that Miami section of uh that discussion has kind of been ruled out as far as wrongdoing, as far as the university is concerned. Moving into our final topic, like we had mentioned, a couple injuries later the NHL. We did have a jersey being retired, and uh, the Seattle Kraken, the newest NHL franchise, they've already set a record. Uh, in Philadelphia, we'll start there. Kevin Hayes, he's going to miss six to eight weeks after abdominal surgery. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins star Evgeny Malkin, he's going to miss two months uh, after knee surgery. They're kind of ill-timed uh, pieces there. Montreal's newly acquired forward Mike Hoffman. Uh, he's going to miss potentially up to four weeks with a lower body ailment. And Arizona's Phil the Thrill, Phil Castle, he's slated to miss all of training camp with a foot injury, uh, potentially for about two to three weeks. I guess he injured himself uh, during training a couple weeks prior, and it hasn't really healed as much as he would like. So kind of a hopefully not an ominous sign for the speedy forward who continues to get up there in age. Uh, in Buffalo and San Jose, the sagas do continue. Uh, starting in San Jose, the Sharks, they're going to be without Evander Kane. The forward is subject to an internal investigation by the team and i think maybe the league it kind of seemed like a joint thing but for sure the team is definitely they don't want him at um training camp we'll get into it later we'll get into it later but um uh he was listed as potential wrongdoing that was brought to the organization's attention in addition uh to the charges laying blame to him gambling at nhl games he was cleared of those essentially allegations if you will um but potential wrongdoing is uh what the team is currently investigating right now in Buffalo, the Sabres. Meanwhile, they stripped Jack Eichel of his captaincy after he failed his preseason physical, of course, no doubt related to uh, that surgery that he uh, has preferred and was still not granted permission by the team uh, to get on his neck area there. So uh, a saga that just continues to, to never end, uh, unfortunately for Buffalo fans uh, moving to Edmonton, former oiler, Kevin Lowe is uh, he's going to have his number four retire on uh, retired to the rafters on November 5th. The retirement comes after 15 seasons that saw him win five Stanley cups with the Edmonton Oilers, as well as another in 1994 with the New York Rangers. Uh, he was elected to the hockey hall of fame in 2020. And lastly, like I mentioned before, the Seattle Kraken, they've broken a record. Uh, the team set a sales record for newly released NH uh, newly released NHL jersey in its first five days of availability, um, selling more than the previous record, which was actually the Vegas Golden Knights uniform in their first year back in 2017. The NHL did not release an exact sales number. Once again, welcome into episode number 80, the big eight zero here as we move uh, just around 15 minutes here at showtime. I, to start off, uh, my co-host Nick Max and I were starting here early on this Sunday, September 26th, just after eight o'clock in the morning. Nick, uh, it's been kind of a tumultuous end of the week, I think, for both of us in terms of business and some personal things going on. But other than that, uh, how are you doing on this Sunday? And are you ready to finally get back into uh, the hockey fold and see uh, see some games on the ice again? 
Uh, yes and no. <laughs> you know, it's always it's not that's a, that's a double edged sword. But you know, when the when the hockey season kicks off, it is nonstop until it's over with. So it's one of those where you know, from the broadcast side of it, though, and I know you've been part of it too, where you know it, the thing, you know, your your schedule just gets you know overcome with hockey stuff, and it's wonderful to go me wrong. But there are definitely some times throughout the season where you kind of look up at the sky and you go. I just need a minute to breathe. Right. <laughs> just, just be, you know, especially with you know, the school, you know, homework. And then of course, working full time for me, it's, it's a lot, you've kind of honestly, sometimes feel like you don't have time to sit there and actually accomplish everything you need to get accomplished, but I'm still looking forward to it. I'm really, really looking forward to see both the men's and the women's team this year. Um, it's again, the men who have, you know, fresh off of their uh, national runner up campaign last year, the women looking to finally take some uh, much bigger strides forward in the WCHA. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's hockey and, you know, you, you got to feel good that you get these opportunities. So bring them on. It's going to be fun. Uh, Noah, how about you? I know that uh, school for you has also been ramped up pretty good. How are things going up there in North Dakota? Yeah, school's been good. It's been busy. I think we have kind of a quote unquote quieter week, although no week in nursing is ever really quiet, but it, it's been good in the hospital, a bit of a slower week, thankfully for clinicals this week, uh, the week prior was <laughs> pretty darn hectic, but uh, I think the biggest news for me uh, coming out of my uh, personal and professional life, uh, I actually got a job uh, last week. I'm going to be, uh, yeah, crazy, right? I don't <laughs> You <laughs> work? Pay, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I had to pay somebody a lot of money for this. No, um, I actually got a pretty good deal. Uh, the Minot Minotauros and the um, North American Hockey League. I'm going to be doing uh, color commentary and intermission reports for all 28 of their home games. They gave me a really nice, really nice offer, and I'm really excited about that. Um, piece so all 28 home games as far as i know i should be available for all of them and then potentially we'll see where the playoffs are at as far as that concern i know the st cloud norsemen are on the dock at a couple of times uh up here in the greater minot area so i um and i i guess i was most most pleased by the offer that came that uh uh, it came about actually because of the work that was done uh, when I was at St. Cloud State and then subsequently this podcast uh, covering some Division One hockey. So I'm um, really appreciative of the journey that's brought me here. And we also have a couple of former Minotauros that were also um, uh, St. Cloud State Huskies that I think we're going to bring into the fold as far as guests, hopefully um, in the coming months as well, too. So some nice little connections that have been made there. And uh, like you mentioned, back in the booth again, uh, getting to getting to get some reps around the hockey world and some pretty good hockey at that. Um, speaking of good hockey, Nick, uh, we've got some women's hockey that just got done and they're getting ready to continue to ramp up in the men's hockey team. They've got St. Thomas and St. Thomas's first ever division one action on the men's side. Uh, let's start with women's hockey. Uh, I know it was an exhibition game uh, that two to one overtime win. Emma Gentry looking really good on the, on the point side, of course. Uh, we talked about this team, uh, definitely a group that has the potential to at least finish fifth, if not fourth in the WCHA. The, ba the big three up top are kind of tough to touch right now, I think, for any organization that's in that bottom echelon in the league. But they've still, uh, the women's hockey team, still off to a great start in their exhibition schedule as they get Lindenwood next week. How pivotal is this first win for the Huskies, and what do you expect out of them moving forward? Well, first of all, it's too bad it doesn't really count, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's the one thing, but, yeah. um, at the end of it, Noah, you have to, I mean, confidence is so huge, um, for athletes, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at the end of it, you know, you have to, you know, it, it it's, it's pivotal because, you know, say in that, even in an exhibition, you get your doors blown off like seven to one. Right. Yeah. Um, 
even though in the back of your head, it's like, you know, it doesn't count, but you are, um, uh, you're kind of wondering what happened. Right. So, you know, yeah. I think that the pseudo win is a good, you know, it just gives you a little bit of confidence. Now I know that, you know, this team from last year, you know, I think that second half of the season and, and that first half break probably wishes that was much shorter because the team I think was really trending in the right direction, but it's got to feel good. Um, but again, you got to carry that, um, Cat confidence in the next weekend and uh, also know that uh, now these games start to count. Um, so you can't take anything for granted. So prepare like it's your last game tomorrow and go from there. Yeah, obviously uh, excited for what is to come for this women's group. I know I talked to Steve McDonald uh, about a month and a half ago. He's really excited about this group, their additions that they brought in. And uh, th- this team ha- has been a group. I, I know we I know we say it. Um, you know, I, I know we say it in kind of a cliche uh, sort of way, um, but this team really is on the rise and they've really got some great things that uh, that are coming for them. I, I also um, had had noticed as well, there is some news as I hopefully get it pulled up. I, I believe the, the Minnesota Golden Gophers and St. Cloud State are actually going to be a part of uh, um, a part of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame Winter Classic this year as well, too. So we'll have to get some more information um, on that as well. But Emma Paluzny, uh, 26 shots. Um, uh, sorry, this is actually from February. I'm pulling up the wrong, the wrong statue. So ignore what I'm trying to say. Two um, versus nine. Holy cow. You're a monster way up. I thought I was, you know, sometimes yeah, well, I'm I, cloud nine in my head. Oh my yeah, goodness. I've been trying to be careful. The WCHA website for, for as good of a job as they do. And usually the women's hockey WCHA website is updated quite quickly. Uh, they don't actually have any live scoreboard information up from yesterday as well, too. I noticed that last night. So kind of a, a little thing to pay attention to as well as they go through their um, transitional period as well. But St. Thomas, their women's program you talked about you know having not the best start potentially in your first games uh they're kind of picking up the pieces there too so i think the women's hockey program they're in a good spot with now eight teams in the wcha here on the men's side st thomas of course coming to town that matchup in um non-conference slash nchc action if you will um st thomas uh what do the huskies really have to prepare for mentally on the men's side i mean what is brett larson's message and actually we're going to have him on uh we're going to record with him tomorrow morning so exciting for huskies fans on that one but uh what is his message to the team uh heading into this weekend not only for the first games of the season but against uh, a brand new opponent but ain't broke don't fix it <laughs> right and that was actually the 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 common theme that we heard from spencer meyer at media day was you know, they, they know that there's external pressure on them. Uh, but, you know, even as athletes, I think the internal pressure is always higher than anything that's outside, right? You know, you got to perform, you know, you got to elevate your game um, and continue to develop every single time that you get the ice. Um, but he's like, you know what, this is if, you know, we prepare the same way at the end of the day, uh, because that's what got us to where we were last year. And so we can't change it, you know, so he's got to continue to do what we were doing last year um, to have success and, you uh, and I know that you know, our sort of, you know, kind of caveat was don't overlook St. Thomas. You know, I don't think this team will. Um, again, when you're playing in the NCHC where every weekend you're going to get the best every team has to throw at you um, every single weekend you're in that conference. Um, I think that the, any team facing St. Thomas is conditioned to go, 
you know, nope, I'm going to respect my opponent. I'm going to put my best foot forward and, you know, I'm making sure that we don't take any of their granted. And again, we don't know what St. Thomas is going to look like. They may yeah. surprise some people, right? So at the end of the day, everybody that's on that roster have earned a spot as a division one hockey player. They're good hockey players. And, you know, how quickly can Rico Blasi make that um, group of individuals who've came in uh, to act and, you know, perform as a team uh, yet to be seen. But again, you know, they're there for a reason. So you can't overlook them. Yeah, I actually, I think that five, actually five, what I was told, I think it's five former Minot Minotauros that's on the St. Thomas roster. Um, going back quickly to women's hockey, uh, the one news board that I did read was correct, though. University of Minnesota, St. Cloud State, uh, the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame Museum Women's Faceoff Classic, November 20th at Ritter Arena this year. So um, that one is, uh, um, that one is on the docket Uh for this season. But yeah, when you talk about the men's team, uh, exciting to see what they've got coming up. I, like you mentioned, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> uh, and, and simply just, uh, take it shift by shift, you know, those first couple shifts of the season, that first period, maybe just kind of get things under your belt. You've got a couple of freshmen and incoming players or transfers as well that you kind of want them to just settle down and get into a rhythm of things. Um, and I, I almost think that it's, in some ways it's easier to get into the rhythm of things, knowing that you are playing a true division one opponent. That's, that's not saying anything negative about the exhibition schedule that the Huskies play, but you know, it, you hope that if you bring your, I would say B game against a team like, you know, uh, Manitoba or things like that, that hopefully that you have the stronger group in general, not to say that it hasn't happened where, you know, some of the, some of the teams in exhibitions going to come in and beaten teams like Duluth or North Dakota, things like that. But you know that you're going to get a division one test right out of the gate um, for this Husky squad. So I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to have it at the excellent energy center in a venue like that. Um, it's just great for the game of hockey to see, um, you know, a sixth Minnesota team enter the fold and see how they're going to be able to compete with their, roster i think they're going to be a group that um they're not going to be all that bad this year um you know I, some people have already written off st thomas i don't know why because you know it's not it's it's not going to be a goal scoring disparity let's just put it that way vegas has entered the chat this is the exact no <laughs> yeah. seriously though i mean they it was the yeah. same storyline with them um we had into their inaugural season and then you know i'm not going to lie to you that sort of underdog you know chip on the shoulder man it kind of actually uh, maybe kind of adore that franchise all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Um, and if anybody wants to take a page out of how you enter a new team in any league and how you interact with the community and how you, you know, get success on the ice, I guess Golden Knights is a really good example to look at. Um, and even as a hockey fan, I know we've talked about this before, but even as a fan experience, the, the whole sort of identity of the team and the community, um, they make it really, really fun, honestly. And obviously they've had a lot of success um, with that franchise. So again, never count on a hockey team. You just can't, these are, these are 25 plus kids that have earned the spots have put in the work to be in a division one roster. You have a very seasoned Enrico Blasi behind the bench. So, and he's very familiar with the NCHC conference, a former Miami bench boss. So uh, you just can't, again, it's, it's, it's a real game that really counts. Like you said, no, this is, there's no, exhibition tune-up for the Huskies. So the start will be imperative. And so you got to go at it, you know, uh, you know, hundred percent, you can't leave anything out on the ice. Uh, Cause you know, again, the pairwise is back too. So, you know, any sort of drop in your non-conference could eventually impact you further down the road. 
Yeah, great goaltending for St. Thomas, too, to look forward to this year. And uh, they're wearing purple. My high school colors were purple, so I'm always thrilled to see that. I know a lot of people are kind of hit or miss on the purple jerseys. I think their home whites look <laughs> really, really killer, in my personal opinion. Uh, moving on to our trivia question we had this week here. Uh, our trivia question did read on yesterday. We had a brand new winner. It was Owls954 that was our winner, and he got this question. Last season, Kirill Kaprizov had 27 goals, putting him 116th all-time for rookie goals in a season. Had he hit 33 goals in a full season, he would be in the top 50. What three Minnesota North Stars had 30 or more goals in their rookie seasons? Uh, Nick, do you have, there's three of them, like I had mentioned. Do you, do you know of one of them at least that? Do you know? Hit, do you know? Uh, Dino Cicerelli was actually not in that list. Really? Yeah. Um, I know McDonald had 29, so he was short. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Bobby Smith, was it? Bobby Smith is in that list. Um, oh, he is in there. He, okay. had, he had exactly 30 goals in 80 games played. He's number 86 on the list. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Would you like to phone a friend? <laughs> Can I pull the audience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, other, the other two, uh, Neil Broughton, uh, 38 oh, goals. Geez. 38 goals in 73 games played. He's number 22 on the all-time list. Brian Bellows, uh, 35 goals in 78 games played, 35 on the list for him. And then the other one that I think is actually a pretty comparable, Steve Kristoff, he had 26 and 56 games played. So he was actually almost identical with Kirill Kaprizov there. But yeah, kind of sad to, to know that Kirill the Thrill didn't get his full season because he easily potentially could have been a top 30 you know, score as far as rookie goal scores are concerned. So um, congratulations, Owls fan 954 on your first win in Huskies uh, trivia history here as we start to wind down on that for season number two. Uh, and speaking of seasons that are winding up with Kirill Kaprizov in the fold, finally, Nick, I know we talked about it on Wednesday with our guests, but finally Kirill Kaprizov signing the deal that we were, we were hoping that he was going to no signing bonuses for him. Uh, full no no trade clause uh, in years four and five on that deal. Uh, the structure is kind of unique. I think it's what is it like five million this year, ten million next year, twelve million, you know, nine million, something like that. Where it kind of it's almost like a like a pyramid, if you will, or like a rise and fall in terms of his contract structure. Um, right. Nick, what what were your thoughts on this deal for Kirill Kaprizov? Um, it, you know, because I, I don't think we've actually really gotten a chance to talk about our true thoughts on it. You know, is it an overpay? Is it not an overpay? Is it a good investment in the future? What, what were your thoughts? Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit of an overpay. Um, but at the end, you know, especially for 55 games play, let's, mm -hmm. let's be honest, but I don't think there's anybody in the hockey world that will look at what he does on the ice and say that, that, you know, there's potential for like huge like walk back. Right. I just think that he's such a dynamic player that yep. you know, you're, you're overpaying him, but you're doing that because you're, you're trying to get that five-year deal. Right. Um, this was sort of the, the nine by 45, right. This was sort of rumored that framework for a couple of weeks. And what's interesting, Noah, too, was you had mentioned earlier that he was in the United States for like a week. He was actually in Florida with his agent. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of, it makes you wonder, that at some point, you know, because we talked about how the Theophanis slash Kaprizov side had been really pushing this side deal that was in the KHL. And, you know, I had been very dismissive of that. So did Michael Russo, uh, many others really not. 
understanding that from a GM's perspective, that that would probably always be in the back of your mind. But as far as being a true threat, I, I think that that was something that was uh, good to get out of the way when September rolled. And even when the team itself in, in Russia said, no, nah, he's not coming here. Um, yeah. And Kaprizov kind of echoed that himself in the press conference and media portions too. So, yeah, it's just, you know, you kind of wonder, and I, I thought too, when that happened, you know, does this change the negotiations? And I think probably it did um, to a certain degree only because again, this nine by 45, that framework came out early this month, you know, when we first heard about it and, you know, the things that Garen were saying, especially to the media, you know, we've made our best offer, you know, we just have to be patient. You almost kind of got the sense that he had laid that down and said, this is, and I'm, and I'm not budget kind of say, you know, that's kind of how I interpreted that. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, some of the details and no move clause. Um, and again, no signing bonuses. You got to be like, holy cow, this is really not Chuck Fletcher. This is insane. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, at, but, but to be true with, you know, the fact that they took the initiative, honestly, and, you know, you kind of wonder if this was an agent driven decision or maybe it was Kaprizov driven decision to get in the U S to get quarantined. Um, again, the, the one question I have is, you know, he said he was vaccinated, but you know, again, the Russian variant apparently he, is not NHL he, approved. Or unless do you do you have any info on that? What from what I had read is that he was vaccinated with uh, an NHL approved vaccine while he was in Florida, like just coming into okay. Florida. That's what I had read. I could I could be wrong. I think the biggest piece that um, y- you know makes it sort of happy yet frustrating. His work visa actually didn't doesn't expire for another four days. So. Um, his last work visa doesn't expire actually until September 30th. So that's actually why he was in the States and was able to come. Ah, over. Um, okay. So the thing that, the thing that I think is frustrating is uh, the, when I read the article in the athletic from Michael Russo, uh, Bill Guerin and Kaprizov, had both kind of talked about the importance of how much better it felt for them to meet face to face. So Bill Guerin actually stepped out of a meeting, called him, flew down to Florida. They met, they had dinner, they had breakfast and they talked in the afternoon about the contract negotiations and kind of solidifying things like that. And Kaprizov said, you know, it was really nice to have him, you know, talk face to face. Bill Guerin kind of echoed that sentiment as well. My thought is, you know, if your work visa wasn't up until September 30th, geez, how nice would this would have been at about like, you know, July, like seventh <laughs> to have this conversation face to face. Right. And I, and I understand travel. I understand the off season too, but um, you know, it, it's too bad. It's, that- more than, it's, no, it's more than that, Noah, because you know, you get the sense and this is where the chess pieces are really played by a GM because when Kaprizov is, you know, whether he's in Russia, whether he's, I mean, he could even could be in Iowa, you know, maybe that's just where he came from. Right. But if the agent is in control of all the negotiations and there's no, ability to be face-to-face right and if the the agent's leading the charge right um you know there was i think we talked about it too on our show as well was you know if kapriasov were to step in or if there was any sort of direct interaction with the gm and kapriasov himself that usually does go a long way to try to move you know things from what could be a stalemate into something a little bit more okay we're actually getting the ball rolling to get something signed so um no question um, that was a game plan from Bill Guerin going down there, uh, not only for the opportunity to be face to face, but, you know, darn well, the ac- actual X factor was I need to see the player and to try to take some of the little bit of that vocal power away from the agent's hands. That's essentially what it yeah. was. So um, but good on Bill Guerin to use that instinct to get down there. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for both of us, Noah, is that he's in the fold. He's in training camp. And, you know, you're trying to avoid, as we talked about before, him missing time with the team, especially um, here 
here with uh, the boys in training camp and more so, you know, preseason slash regular season. Yeah, as Seth Topol I put it, it's an overpay, but it's one that I'm comfortable with. And I echo that sentiment as well. I was talking with a friend, uh, a former linemate of mine in college. He's a big Avs fan. And he goes, well, he's not Nathan McKinnon. And I said, he's not right now. But <laughs> if he continues to progress, he could be in that caliber. And I think about Nathan McKinnon's game, the, the dynamic kind of do it all. Kaprizov's not bad defensively. But when you watch Kaprizov and the things that he does, people say, oh, you know, he had X number of points. You know, oh, is he going to be a goal scorer like this forever? The thing that makes Kaprizov good is not his goal scoring ability. What makes him good is his playmaking ability and his shiftiness, the way that he turns on his edges, the way that he creates offense on a dime in a phone book, essentially. So you're paying for a guy that I, I think a good comparable is maybe Jeff Skinner, right? Jeff Skinner has 40 goals, has a, has an unreal campaign, gets a big payday and has not lived up to that contract. Well, you think about it, you know, same with Eric Stahl too. That one kind of came out of left field. He suddenly has this great season of production and granted, Jeff Skinner is a good hockey player, but his underlying way he plays and his statistical value didn't mirror that in his career. And suddenly he had a breakout year and a contract here. Kirill Kaprizov, even when he's not scoring, has the tools in the toolbox to continue to create offense for this group. I think that's the piece. I mean, you look at where he would have been potentially in a full season for goal scores for a rookie season. That tells you, <laughs> I think all you need to know that some of the names that he's paired up with guys like that, don't just come in the league. doesn't matter who you're playing. If you're playing quote unquote fluff teams or not, you know, when you're a good hockey player, even if you're producing or not producing the things you do on the ice kind of speak to that contract value for him. So good on Kaprizov there, excited for him, uh, excited for what this Minnesota Wild roster can do, hopefully moving in, moving into the regular season. Uh, pushing just after 36 minutes here on the show, so we do have a couple of quick topics that we want to get to here before we wrap up the main portion of the show. Uh, some more Minnesota Wild news. Uh, their new alternate captains, Marcus Felino, Matt Dumba, uh, giving the A's on their sweater. Felino, I think, was a shoe-in by almost everybody's list. Uh, the second one was kind of up for grabs. Matt Dumba's the guy that's going to get the get the call there um, for his vocalism on and off the ice. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on uh, both captains? And do you think they were the right picks? Uh, Marcus played a whole boy. You know, I, I think even I had penciled him in as a potential, you know, wearing the C candidate uh, mm -hmm. last season um, before it was handed over to Jared Spurgeon, which makes more sense to get the longer contract. Um, I think Jared Spurgeon is going to retire as a member of the Minnesota Wild unless things go way upside down pyramid um, for the squad. But I, I just can't see that happening. Um, as far as uh, uh, Matt Dumba, there's always been a part of me that despite what you feel as a fan, about his performance on the ice. He is a very vocal person on that bench. He's yeah. a very vocal person in that locker room. And he, and he has this energy that definitely is, you know, is felt throughout, throughout that uh, team. So um, I'm actually not surprised by that. And yep. it's, it's interesting how, you know, love him or not the fan base, you know, is he going to be traded? You know, he's, he's not great defensively. He's missing that. Uh, upper management seems every step that, you know, and every little caveat we hear from the fan base that management is kind of like, you know, equal the sentiment, the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Um, uh, Bill Guerin himself, you know, Matt Dumb isn't going anywhere. Um, you saw with uh, some of the things, and I think Matt Dumba may have been part of a trade package if Eichel maybe had been healthy. Um, he's not. Um, and at the end of the day, gave him the assistant captain. So, Again, you don't you don't just hand those out like for anybody. That's an earned thing, and um, I'm not quite sure. I, I don't know if it was 
voted by the peers. I think usually that's how most NHL locker rooms go. So it tells yeah. you that he's also earned the respect of his teammates. Um, unlike some other teams, which is another topic of our <laughs> conversation. So kind of a nice little segue there. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you talk about the voting process, it's the players first and then the coaching staff kind of has their input there. And then of course uh, the the staff and GM essentially kind of have the final say, if you will. So um, yeah, definitely taken into consideration there. I think about, you know, the perception of Matt Dumber production wise versus what he brings to this team actually in an odd comparable Victor Rask is kind of in that same boat where everybody likes to, you know, crap on Victor Rask, if you will, but he's usually at this point kind of in the lineup. He's in the mix right now. They've talked about where he's going to slot in as far as like line for training camps are concerned. There is something with both of these players that the coaching staff sees from a production standpoint or from a playing standpoint that warrants these guys being where they are. Matt Dumba is no exception. So for people talking about how they want him to be traded, that sort of thing, there's a reason he's on the ice every night. There's a reason he's a top four defenseman. There's a reason he's wearing the A on the sweater. Um, so I think that's, a, that's an important piece to find, you know, point out. It's easy for all of us to be armchair GMs, but we don't sit in that locker room every day. We don't jump on the ice every day. We don't watch them every day to know what truly goes on. And there are some guys that are just, you know, I think Matt Dumb is a great defenseman. I think he's still got a lot of offensive upside, but there are some guys that are also just glue guys in that locker room. That means so much as far as their personalities on top of their um, production on the ice. Um <clears throat> As we push into 40 minutes here, we do have one more quick topic to get to. Uh, Jack Eichel and Evander Kane, those kind of sagas are continuing. Nick, what are your quick thoughts on the latest Evander Kane stuff? And then what are your quick thoughts on uh, the Jack Eichel piece here, still not being able to get the surgery he wants? Uh, we'll start with Eichel. Um, that it's, it's, it's a no-win situation no matter what you look at it, right? From both the team's perspective and from Michael's perspective, there's no question he was going to fail his physical. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that, especially with the neck injury. Um, and the team is still standing pat in terms of what uh, surgery they prefer. And it uh, sounds like Eichel's camp is still standing pat and whether they – whether it's just another, uh, you know, wrinkle and trying to, to facilitate a trade. But the problem is – with Michael not being healthy, his trade value is almost zero. So at the end of the day, um, until that situation like goes somewhere, whether it's, yeah. you know, they agree on one surgery or the other, obviously the rehabbing didn't work. Um, that's going to be uh, quite the tumultuous relationship for some time. So um, too bad for both um, that team and that player, because until that gets figured out, I, I don't think both sides are going to be very, very happy with each other. It's just too bad that, um, you know, that that continues to, to take place um, for Evander Kane. This is interesting, Noah. Um, I think what, uh, you know, is interesting is, you know, a couple of things. One, um, the NHL did its own investigation first and they found that there was actually there was nothing they could prove as far as some of the claims that were being made by, I think, now the soon to be ex-wife of Evander Kane. Um, that's a whole separate topic. We'll leave that one for another day. Um, but they couldn't find anything to, to essentially substantiate the claim, right? Well, the San Jose Sharks have said, no, we're going to take a look, look into it ourselves, right? And I think that's I think that's an important sentiment here, Noah, because if if I'm on a if I'm on a team, especially a professional hockey team, right, where I'm getting paid millions of dollars, um, now there's no question Evander Kane gambling problems that's been very well documented but if there was ever a rumor that came out that he was betting on our my team's own games um someone please figure out if that's true and until that happens um 
I don't want to see this guy because that means that I'm putting all the effort in to try to win games. And this guy could give, you know, two rats rear ends because, you know, yeah. he's trying to make money off of it. So um, the Sharks are taking a pretty uh, interesting approach here. They actually banned him from training camp, um, which I thought was the right move. But what it also signals to me, Noah, is that there's there's some tension in that locker room. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I can't I can't blame any of the Sharks players that play around them that, uh, you know, that would feel that way. In fact, I think it was Kevin Kurtz uh, who covers the San Jose Sharks for the athletic had a very detailed uh, article on uh, some of those pretty high tensions too, that even some Sharks saying, I do not want to see him ever again, essentially. Um, You know, even if it's, you know, and I I don't know that opinion would ever change depending on what they would find, but uh, the organization really taking a deep dive and you, for Evander Kane, who is uh, over $20 million in gambling debt, uh, yeah. who is going through a, what sounds like a pretty nasty separation for uh, from his current uh, wife, um, things are, are not looking great for the uh, for the, the San Jose Shark forward here. So you kind of you kind of wonder, you know, yeah, what's to say this? You know, what would happen if San Jose does find something? Um, you know, in terms of actual evidence against San Jose, does that mean they terminate his contract? I'm kind of curious to see if the CBA has any language in that. I'm pretty sure there's a lifetime ban sort of thing yeah. um, that's in place for that. And, uh, you know, what would the Players Association, you know, do in this situation too? So this is far from over. Um, you kind of wonder if he will ever step on the ice um, a again, while the investigation is under ongoing or rather will keep him out. So throughout the duration and what's to say that they don't find anything. Do they, you know, is it, is it salvageable the relationship between him the other players in the so, organization? So I don't know. So a lot, of, a lot of layers there. I'll try to be brief here. Cause I know we're over time, but uh, we're doing a lot of the comparables game today here. And actually I think that um, definitely the situations are, are far different in severity between these two people, but I actually think the closest comparable is in major league baseball right now. And that's the Trevor Bauer situation where even if Trevor Bauer is cleared of what he's doing, do any of the teams in major league baseball want him back? Do the LA Dodgers want him back? I think Evander Kane, you know, he's over 30 years old. I think he's pushing in that same territory. Does another team want to take a chance on him with the conduct issues that have potentially been going on here? Does San Jose really want him in the lineup or do they want to find a way to, you know, kind of bury him or or terminate that contract as well too? Uh, It's just sad because when you put all of that aside, he's a really, really good hockey player and he's a very valuable asset on the ice for, for not only the San Jose Sharks, but probably almost every team in the NHL, I would say uh, he'd be a, he'd be a great fit hockey wise in a lot of lineups. But when you just talk about that personal conduct piece, um, you know, he's kind of digging himself further down the rabbit hole with his uh, personal and professional behavior, if you will. And it's just, it's, it's sad to see because he's a good hockey player and um, potentially this contract could very well be his last in the NHL. If things continue to kind of go uh, the way that they are moving over to the Sabres and Jack Eichel situation. I know we've talked about this before. Um, I I know that people have made the comparison about uh, the vaccine being essentially pushed, almost required for NHL players versus things in the CBA related to personal health, such as surgeries Um, from a, from a, uh, personal medical standpoint, I, I I just think it's still shameful what the what the Buffalo Sabres Sabres are doing with Jack Eichel's situation. I know a lot of people disagree and say that he signed that contract under the CBA. He is now an asset uh, of the Buffalo Sabres. I understand that, but to to it's not, not it's to, not helping anything. It's exactly just, to not to not 
to not essentially allow a player. It's one thing if he says, Hey, I want to do black voodoo magic and poke myself with sharp swords to, to feel better. That's not backed by empirical science. That's one thing. But when you have an alternative uh, therapeutic method for him on his road to recovery, that is shown to have empirical evidence. It's shown to have the backing of over a thousand of these surgeries and other walks of life, including athletics. I just, I don't know why you would treat somebody like that, regardless of if you want him on the ice or not. If my employer did that to me and I had the ability, I'd walk away. Day one, I'd walk away. It's, it's tough, Noah, too, because I understand the Sabres perspective in terms of, yes, there's a thousand surgeries documented and the, you know, um, as we mentioned before, there was a podcast, uh, from the doctor who was, you know, kind of been working with Michael to try to perform the surgery. Uh, he was kind of the pioneer in it. Um, but I do understand at least not that doesn't mean I agree with that, but I understand yeah. the Sabres perspective in terms of, okay, I see all these things in other athletes and, but I haven't seen this in a hockey player. And I understand that maybe you're looking at it from the set of, well, hockey players, the game is different. It's faster. It's, you know, have your collision. Is, is there really any evidence to say that this has helped hockey players in the past? From what I understand, if I remember the podcast correctly, is that there had been surgeries on uh, different levels of hockey players that had performed this. Um, and now, again, I, I'd have to double check. Uh, yeah, well, was, sure. it wasn't one of the groups that was listed. It was like fighters, like MMA fighters. They had a couple yes, of them. That's and that, correct. Like, yes. that's the piece. And I just from personal personal standpoint fusions as you age just Not don't good. don't get better you know and it's like and you'll need to actually re get it get it redone yeah too. it's like i understand that you want him to you know get that surgery i understand you want him in the lineup but the ex at the expense of his help what is he how old is jack Eichel? is he 24 25 years old yeah 24 at i believe something like that it's like be, beyond the hockey piece this is a decision that will affect eichel's life the rest of his life and that's that's something that i really think has to be taking in consideration um and that discussion has to continue um in some way between eichel and the buffalo sabers but honestly um no pun intended it's been really painful to watch <laughs> it really has so it really has and then just a quick wrap up here no before yeah. we get to extra rice um you know the the one thing that even you know as i go back and and, and look at the sabers you know, sort of sticking point, which is it hasn't been done um, at some point, uh, you know, who, you know, which piece breaks first, right. Yeah. You know, and, and I know that the agent change in Pat uh, Brisson, um, you know, was supposed to sort of facilitate some, hopefully some ground moving. Do you, you know, and I think that the million dollar question is for, for Jack Eichel, you know, obviously the, I think the relationship is torn beyond repair, despite what, you know, uh, Kevin Adams says, yeah. But you kind of wonder for Jack, who obviously is aching to play hockey, we're not, you know, you kind of wonder if there's something new that even in the back of his head that says, I'm just going to cave, get the fusion surgery just because I'm, I'm just sick of this, um, of this back and forth. And you, you, you hate to not think that way, but I, I kind of get the sense that, you know, as the frustrations mount to that, it's, you can't really rule that out either too, Noah, you know, you kind of wonder if then maybe that's the long-term game plan for the Sabres just to maybe just hold out until maybe he just gives up on it, which However, is like, which is awful. <laughs> no, it is. And that's, you know, that was going to be the, the closing point is, yeah. you know, this is not just about a surgery that's supposed to help him with his job. 
again, with a anything with their spine, any well, any yeah. surgical procedure, really, you know, there are implications on you know uh, your quality of life that can happen and go through all the way down, you know, to your golden ages, right? And you know, especially with the spine and this kind of injury absolutely can affect that so it's like i said it's a terrible situation you can just hopefully get some resolution at some point soon so funny story nick you know doctors i'm in the nursing profession uh the business world obviously works a little differently but funny story unless we have to implement life-saving emergency procedures if you come in and you have some sort of ailment tomorrow right and i say the best recommended option for you is this you can also do this, but the rest best recommended option for you is this. And you look at me and say, nope, I don't want any of those operations. I just want a glass of orange juice and I want you to leave me alone. I, as a medical professional, have to respect that because that is your right as a patient. It's utterly mind-blowing to me that the business world right now works differently because every decision that affects the patient is allowed to be made by the patient and potentially their family members. Like, <laughs> and it's just, well, it's, it's so yeah. mind boggling to me that like Jack Eichel cannot do what Jack Eichel needs. Now I understand within the CBA a little bit to say like, you know, Jack Eichel can't go drive a speedboat at 200 miles an hour, break his neck and then ask for the savers to pay for a surgery. Like I get stuff like that, but yeah. So you're, you're opening up a can of worms and I'll just respond very quickly. Now, mind yeah. you, you know, People give GM Kevin Adams a lot of grief on this. Honestly, it's coming from the team doctors. They're the ones that are yeah. doing the recommending. So these are health professionals that are, you know, probably been in and around the game of hockey for a while. Um, and, you know, for those who say, well, you know, surgery, this, that, what's the deal? You know, first of all, you know, just like the Austin Matthew thing, right? Surgery from a medical perspective is a last resort. In fact, most doctors yeah. take the approach is if we can avoid surgery, we need to actually do anything and everything, whether it's rehab, physical therapy, yeah. no matter what the injury is to try to avoid surgery, right? It's never good on your body to go through surgery, but it ends up being where the, you know, all other um, options are exhausted then, and surgery is the last option um, to fix something then absolutely now. And it's, it's, it's just interesting to me that, you know, that these, these medical professionals, especially with Buffalo, um, again, Buffalo, uh, for those who don't know that area is, is littered with medical colleges and medical universities. Yeah. Um, it's a huge, uh, area for that. And you kind of wonder, um, you know, as far as, um, as things go, you know, what sort of things that those doctors are looking at from the Sabres perspective, because that's the one thing, like, you know, they have access to all the, the, you know, the medical files for these, yeah. you know, surgeries to look at, to kind of go through, to read through it and to make more informed opinions than either I nor you could ever do. Right. So you yeah. kind of wonder what they're looking at and what's maybe what, what they're questioning. I, I'd be very curious to that. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the piece that's missing in the CBA, just like it should exist in any healthcare forum is patient advocacy and, and the rights, the rights for uh, essentially someone, even in a business per se, to have control over their own health to a certain extent. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the piece that that's, that's a huge legal <laughs> issue that you or I are not privy to. <laughs> I, I don't think. Um, right. And, and that's, and that's, it's a mind numbing topic to talk about even in our profession too and, and things that we have to do and um stuff like that but yeah we are we are way over time so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get off this topic let us know what you think either on twitter at 
Warming House Den or in the comments of whatever uh, streaming platform. Of course, you can find us on YouTube as well. We're going to head on to the extra ice session, and we've got some comments of our own as far as a rule change is concerned in the National Hockey League. Welcome into the extra ice session. Nick Maxson is to my left, I suppose, if you're looking on the YouTube page and I'm on your right hand side, uh, depending on what you want to do, unless you're cross-eyed and I feel cross-eyed very, um, very often in this world, Mr. Maxson, but speaking of crossing, how about cross-checking the national hockey league announcing that they're going to have stricter and tighter enforcement on cross-checking in the NHL, especially in those high traffic areas, you know, around the crease, around the slot where you kind of see defensemen historically essentially burying forwards (laughs) flat on their face. I think the most infamous example for the Minnesota wild was that Eric Stahl a couple of years ago in the playoffs against Winnipeg got cross-checked right in the slot and a pretty big scoring chance and kind of knocked him out for portion of that game. Nick, the last major quote unquote crackdown was the slashing, um, crackdown back in 2017-18. What is the NHL truly trying to say, and how are they actually going to enforce something like this, and is it necessary? Uh, I think that there are some points that are necessary, to be honest with you. Um, And honestly, let's look at it from both a officiating perspective as well as a fan's perspective. I think it's important to cover both. So, as you mentioned, the rule itself isn't changing. Uh, so I want to make sure our listeners are clear. There's no added verbiage. There's no change in how the rule is read or written. Yep. So that part we have to make sure we're clear on. Number two, all this is, is what the NHL calls is a you know clarity of the interpretation of the rule. So the video that the league actually posted um, to actually explain what it was looking for um, they're focusing on three areas. They're focusing on areas that are on the boards. They're looking at areas in front of the net as well as open ice. And so I watched the video and looked at examples of what they would look at in terms of what wasn't called before and what will be called. So let's say you're battling the boards, right? Now, what, what I understand is if a player goes down, that's going to essentially in a much you know, truncated form, that's going to draw the arm going up. Um, basically, if you're cross-checking around the boards or pushing and it's not interfering the player's ability to be within the play, they're going to let that go, right? Yeah. Um, however, if excessive force is used, if the player is essentially taken out of the play, even if he is involved in it, they're going to call that cross-checking. Um, same thing in front of the net. If there's a little bit of pushing and shoving along, as long as the player can maintain his stance, can maintain his involvement in the play, they'll let that slide. If a player is, you know, uh, Brad Marsh on the back of the kidneys, um, they're going to call it um, open ice too. If it's almost like, this is where the open ice thing is going to be interesting because half the time for a cross check when you're moving an open ice, it's more of a push. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like they want to call that too, especially the player again is either taken off his skates or you know again is is it, it I guess interfered with his ability to make a play. So um, essentially, what the league is trying to do is they want more offense. They want, uh, obviously player safety. At least that's what they're saying. Um, you thought our side rule was going to be vague and gray. This is going to be no different. Um, <laughs> and we've seen rule crackdowns sort of in the past Noah. And it's, it's always curious to every time the league does it, first of all, how teams adjust, um, to, and also how long they actually last. Right. Um, you know, I still remember when 
the whole like obstruction verbiage came into the rules, <laughs> uh, what, 10, 12 years ago, I want to say, yeah. and how it was like obs- obstruction. Why don't you just call it interference? It was just, it was actually kind of funny at the time. But, you know, the slight little interpretations from the officiating standpoint, um, that's what this essentially is. So they're looking for any sort of, you know, stick being used to on a player to essentially take him out of a play either by force or, you know, by some other method, they're going to start calling those. And um, safety wise, yes, especially against the boards. Um, yeah. Zach Parisi, I know he's, he's, his career was taking an absolute beating in the back um, while he was net front battling up uh, The story with him and his health is uh, was a big issue for the while a few years back. And it, it still is for him. You know, again, you talk about anything with a spine, that's a long lasting injury. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting. You, you, you kind of wonder, where each referee is on what the NHL wants, right? Because not every recall, every referee calls it the same way. Again, it's subjective calls for any any official. And um, I'm kind of curious to see once we get into the regular season, um, you know, what sort of calls we're going to be seeing made. And, you know, if some of those were calls we've never seen in the past and, and how picky they're going to be. Because I know that when they've done rule changes in the past slash interpretations or I could call what I say rule focuses, I think is what they call it. Yeah. Um, you know, just how, you know, how much are they going to call? So it's going to be interesting. Could be worse. We could be discussing what the heck catch is still um, mm-hmm. in football. Oh, and speaking, still are. And speaking <laughs> of football, how bad are the golden gophers right now? But anyway, I digress. Oh boy. Don't uh, even get me going on that. Watch oh. that. Watch that one yesterday. I had a couple of friends in the game. Not pretty. Um, but nonetheless, um, apparently you have to score, um, uh, points to win a football game. Um, <laughs> but uh, yep. nonetheless, I, I think that the cross-checking piece, um, I guess I don't, uh, I see it a little more black and white than you do. And, and I think, I, I yeah, I mean, it's it, it's like any rule. I think it's tough. Um, you know, I think the probably the only rule in the National Hockey League that is so clear cut and dry is probably tripping pretty obvious when somebody trips, <laughs> you know, for the most about part, as easy, about as easy as it gets. Right? Yeah. I would say, I, I think the, the two factors that go into what makes a cross check, a cross check are body position, like you had mentioned and time. Um, so, and, and I puck possession in turn in relation to body position too. Um, because what is your, what is your ultimate goal as a hockey player? People say, you know, why do you, why do you cross check? Why do you make body contact? Why do you do those things? It's not, it's not to run somebody into the fifth row. Although there's some people in that you see that you're like, boy, I really like to do that if they have their head down coming up the ice. Um, but the purpose of a body, a body check, a little slash, um, a little cross check, it's to disrupt the opposing player and essentially gain an advantage on the puck. I know that sounds obvious to people, but you know, some people don't know that, 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 that that's what the reasoning is. We don't cross check people just for the sake of, you know, breaking backs. Like that's, that's not the goal. Um, It's to create separation from the puck and the player that currently probably has the puck. You're trying to gain every little advantage that you can. I think number one, is it similar to kind of boarding and checking from behind, especially on the wall. When you see a guy who's trying to change direction or trying to go a certain direction and he gets disrupted in that action, it's kind of obvious, especially when they go headfirst in the boards, where that direction change has happened. Like it's a very cut and dry piece. So I think that that's the first thing you're looking for is if I'm trying to change direction and I'm going to my right, I stop and turn to my left. And all of a sudden I'm not going left anymore. And I'm going forward straight into the boards. Well, it's quite obvious. You disrupted my path of 
trying to do something versus, you know, if he continues to go to his left, but you're still giving him little shots as he goes around, but he's still able to make his move going to the left as he's going up the wall. Well, then it's kind of like, unless you're giving him seven shots, seven straight cross checks, you know, it's kind of at the official's discretion, if you will. The other piece is time. And what I mean by time is that, um, you know, when guys battle in front of the net, sometimes guys lose their balance, that sort of thing. But again, if you get cross-checked and you drop down to one knee and then you hop right back up and you turn and you're right back in the battle, well, I'm not calling that as an official because it really didn't have a whole lot of bearing on the play. And it took half a second for the guy to drop down, stand back up and he's back in the play versus, you know, if you cross-checking him and he's laying flat down on the ice and it takes him three seconds to get up. Well, that's quite obvious what's going on there too. So I think, I think that that's what, that's what you kind of have to start with is you're looking obviously at severity and egregiousness of the play. But on top of that, it's, you know, I've seen guys that while they're battling and going to the corner, they do get cross-checked and they drop down to one knee, but they're able to stand back up and maintain position of the play. And they don't get another cross-check or three to the back. And the the play kind of continues naturally, if you will. It's when you really disrupt or alter the momentum or position of the player or play that I think that that's where that's where it really has to be has to be enforced. I guess the one that I have the question about actually is standing cross checks is guys that are along the wall. Um, and they're trying to step around a guy and they essentially get one of these and they just get pinned up against the boards and they're essentially out of the play. Like that's like a cross check slash hold. And I don't know what you do about that. Unfortunately. Uh, you know, and again, it's, it's one of those where, um, you know, just to go back briefly on your point, Noah, um, the, based on the video again, and I, I would highly recommend anybody else watch it. It's right on yeah. YouTube. It's, it's, it's widely available, um, as to what the league's looking for. It sounds like despite the fact that in your example, that that player is still in command of the puck in possession, if yeah. he's knocked to his feet, it sounds like they want to call that. Um, and it's, and, it, and again, is it a safety issue because you're like facing the boards? Is it, um, you know, in front of them that maybe, you know, is it different there? I, I don't think so. I think if you're taking out from your feet, you're going to see a lot more arms go up, even if it doesn't necessarily um, uh, change what the, you know, advantage as you yeah. very eloquently describe as of a play. I think they're really trying to like, effectively, if I'm looking, they're trying to put a rope on the excessiveness of the cross checks. I think they're okay with the pushes. I think they're okay with the shoves. As long as the player is on his feet, I, I think they really want to keep that physicality as you get, as you get mentioned, because again, but if I'm a player sick and I get a little nudge and it just happens to be at the right time and I lose possession of the puck and it's a turnover. That's exactly why you do those things, right? It's those yeah. little plays that end up making a big difference. But if, if it's hard enough where, I go to, you know, go to my feet. It sounds like they're going to call every single one of those. Yeah. Um, and, the, so. and, there's, and there's two issues with that. The first one, of course, as you know, is players that dive. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very easy to, to dive in and essentially knock yourself off your feet, but still kind of maintain control, if you will. Um, it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of hard to explain to someone who's never played, but you can have Dustin Bufflin going into the corner against you. But if you push him at the right time, while he's turning, you can knock him off his feet because he's not expecting it. I think the second piece that you're really going to see, I think you're going to see defensemen, especially you're going to see their hands go from being here to down here. And you're going to see instead of the cross checks down in the lower back or in the shoulders, you're going to start to see the glove, the gloved portion, their actual hands down on kind of where the hips are so that it looks like they're they're not cross checking, but that they're maintaining body position 
and essentially using their hands and forearms and shoulders and hips to knock a guy off the puck and disrupt them, essentially pushing on the hips, if you will. So it's kind of like a pseudo cross check. Is that the best way to kind of put it where you're trying to gain that positional advantage or disrupt momentum, but you're not actually, you know, 1970s breaking wood over somebody's back. You're giving this little kind of push and disruption because as you know, when you have a guy who's going 10, 15, 20, 25 miles an hour down the ice, one little disruption or one little push when Dustin Bufflin, for example, is changing direction in the corner. Sometimes that's all it takes for a guy to, to drop down. So where do officials, as you mentioned, that's where officials are trying to draw the line. How do officials handle the potential diving and also where do they draw the line between a, a true and honest cross check versus, you know, pushing with the hands and hips to try to slowly disrupt somebody? Is, is there a way for them to do that? Uh, you know, at, at the end of it, first of all, you know, they did mention the the diving aspect in that video mm-hmm. um, to the um, again with referee subjectiveness what's considered a dive right yeah. um you know you, you want things black and white but the the problem is with all every essentially every single rule except for tripping it's all gray area so it's i don't know i don't know if there's a way you can really you know tr- you know draw those circumstances you know and that's where you're probably going to see play certain players especially um because uh, you, you see this in, in the nhl too where certain players who've had say um the referee's eye um, when they go down <laughs> uh, per se. Right. Um, so you kind of wonder if um, you're going to see a little bit of bias too. And with some players, uh, you know, going down easy or whatnot, because uh, you mentioned Dustin Bufflin, you know, for a guy, his size, when he was six, seven, two thirty. you know, if he looks a certain way or, you know, goes down a certain way that that probably wasn't crazy. Um, uh, I don't know. At, at the end of it, it's uh uh, it's, 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 it's tough. And, you know, it's sort of the same deal with the NFL referees, right? It's, you know, what's past interference It's you know, every crew is slightly different and it's no different than the NHL, right? You only just hope that, you know, they can be as, you know, consistent as possible as, as a group throughout the entire year, um, between the referee pairings and the linesmen, uh, when they're doing their job. So it's not an easy task, especially again, when it, technically the rule isn't changing, you're just trying to enforce, a little bit more of probably what you should have been calling uh, a quote from Michael Russo was this isn't a straight, you know, a tighter calling of it. It was not, it, it's not uh, ignoring what have been blatant penalties for the longest time. That's how he worded it. Yeah. Um, and I tend to kind of agree with that sentiment. Yep. Um, so I don't know. Well, you know, again, we won't know until we see it. Um, again, I didn't get a chance to watch, uh, the preseason game yesterday for, for Minnesota, I think only St. Louis um, had it broadcast locally. I don't think Minnesota had picked it up. It was just on the radio. Um, but you kind of, because usually they start trying these things out in preseason too, as you know, try to get the referees uh, in the full too. you know, they're just like athletes, you know, they got things yeah. they got to work on and, and practice. So, but we really won't see, I think a full blown um, attempt until they get to the regular season. And, you know, as we saw with the Minnesota wild, if, uh, if they're always in the penalty kill, they're taking too many, or if they're on the power play and they can't get anything rolling, um, could be some ugly hockey to be played, could be sloppy. So you kind of hope it doesn't get overbearing either. Yeah. There's two areas in terms of cross checks that they got to be called. If anything, the first is when players essentially are coming out of the corner or entering the corner, and they're changing direction or trying to kind of squeeze by a guy and they end up 
kind of going like half face first into the boards and they, they lose the puck. I mean, that one, that one doesn't get called often enough because I think that there is that gray line. Sometimes when people like physically, you know, was that a check or was that a cross check kind of this in-between thing? And there's so many of those as a forward, it, it's the worst feeling ever to come up the wall and try to change direction. And, and you get, you know, two hands or a stick in your back and you you're down on the ice and the plays going the other way and you don't get a call there. It's like, you know, what more do I got to do to get a call there? The second one. And this one is probably the more common one that people know is anytime that there's a shot coming in on net, especially and a forward or a defenseman is trying to go for that loose block as the shots coming in and they ended up flat on their face. Um, and the one player was standing directly in front of the other, those ones got to be called every time. And I think that that one tends to get missed a little bit more in the chaos of everything and what's going on. And for so long, defensemen were taught that if anybody comes near your goals and around the crease, you bury them. It doesn't matter what you, you bury them. Um, and I, I under, I guess I understand that to an extent, protecting your goaltender. I've always hated that about defensemen and I'm probably in the minority there, but I, I never understood as a forward, you know, like if you, Obviously, I'm going to compete very hard, but as soon as your goaltender t- covers the puck, as soon as I hear the whistle, like I'm not going to, you know, slash, you know, over top of your goaltender's hands. I'm not going to run him over that sort of thing. But defensemen all the time, you know, every time you go into their grill, they're grabbing you by the jersey, they're pushing you away, telling you get, get out of the way and stuff. And sometimes it's kind of like, I get you're protecting your goaltender, but why did you cross check me there? I was, <laughs> I was five feet right. away from your goaltender, that sort of thing. So I think it hopefully will improve. Uh, the flow of play a little bit, or at least around the front of the net, create second chance opportunities because defenders have to defend more with their stick and their IQ and their awareness of players on the ice, as opposed to just clutch and grab or kind of burying them, you know, in front of the crease there. So um, Nick, do you have anything else to add um, on that cross-checking rule? Um, I guess my final closing question would be, do you think that we're going to substantially notice the change of the adjustment or do you think it's going to be a gradual thing? Cause I remember a couple of years ago, the goaltender interference thing was a very like, Oh my gosh, this is a little bit over the top. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see, honestly, um, typically for the NHL, um, anything that they're looking for as far as rules. Um, I know that the league and the, uh, like the governing body that um, is in control of uh, the referees. Uh, yeah. They make it a, a very much a, a point of interest. Um, so I do think you're going to, see it to a point where maybe it's going to seem overbearing um, because that's the way we've seen these whether it's a real change actual in the verbiage or whether it's we're focusing on this like the obstructions or slashing the past right um it it was like that's not a slash you know that kind of thing but yeah and again the league is very you know they'll stand pads like no you know that was or that wasn't in the past but this is what we're calling now kind of thing so um i do think it's going to be the latter i think it's going to be where um it's going to seem like it's much to the fan base i think it's going to be even more so frustrating for the players and the coaches um that go around in the league um and to try to understand you know it's almost like you're trying to understand what the strike zone of a certain umpire right you know is he is he yeah. off to one side and you know again that's that's you know sort of that one caveat that I had, you know, if they're consistent with it and teams can adjust, you know, at some point things will eventually work itself out. But but if one night they're very, very picky on it. And then the next night there's like a crew that doesn't call a single one and the same acts are happening on the ice. That's when you're going to see trouble throughout the league. So you just kind of hope it's, you know, it's been taught very well to the referees have done their homework on it. They know exactly what the league is looking for. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, every career is different. And again, with these sorts of, you know, 
I don't know because they're technically not changes, but uh, points, uh, you know, of uh, points, emphasis. Point of emphasis. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you usually see a bit of an overbearing response to that from the officials. Well, we have the electronic strike zone. Why don't we have electronic officials, Nick? Come on, figure it out, man. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that will do it for episode number 80 we've got an exciting lineup we've got some guests on the docket here again uh tomorrow of course we're recording this on sunday september 26 tomorrow morning on monday we're going to record with brett larson previewing his thoughts on the upcoming uh, men's hockey season as well as the weekend against st thomas that'll be out either monday night or tuesday morning at the latest uh and then of course we've got episode 81 coming up the following sunday and then we've got alex micheletti coming on the show um the following monday night so his will be out tuesday morning uh the following tuesday morning on that one Talk a little bit of hockey, Minnesota Wild stuff, and then probably uh, uh, preview a little bit of that Mankato series as he is a Mankato alum as well, too. So we've got a lot of exciting things coming on as far as both Minnesota Wild and St. Cloud State hockey is concerned. Uh, it is finally hockey season. We are finally ready to rock and roll and go, and uh, we couldn't be happier to have you here with us here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We appreciate you uh, joining us in the den. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon. Come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.